My name's Jana and I'm a trainee psychological wellbeing practitioner. I read the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I found it really interesting about all the different stories um, and how people got to become a clinical psychologist. It just amazed me how many different routes there are to get there and there's no perfect way to become one. And this kind of filled me with confidence that no, I'm not doing it wrong and put less pressure on myself. So if you're feeling a bit uneasy about becoming a clinical psychologist, I definitely recommend this just to put um, yourself at ease and everything will, will be okay. But trust me, you will not put the book down once you start. Coming up in today's episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast, we are looking at failures. We are looking at all of the ways that things have not gone to plan for me in psychology. This might well resonate with you for a variety of reasons, personal and professional, but really want to inspire you to know that whatever you're going through now or whatever you've been through in the past doesn't mean that you can't still be a wonderful mental health professional. I hope you find this episode so useful. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast. With Dr. Marianne Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. If you are listening to this episode when it is first available, then you might well be aware that if you are an aspiring educational psychologist, that the deadline for applications for this year is looming. It is Wednesday, the 29th of November, 2023. So that is imminent. Um, that is this week, if you're listening to this on Monday. And if you are an aspiring clinical psychologist and you're planning on applying this year, then I hope you've already done it because the deadline for that was Wednesday, the 22nd of November. So I hope that went really well for you if you did apply. Um, and there will be episodes coming soon about what you can do between now and when we start to hear about shortlists. I thought it would be a really nice chance to think today about when things don't go to plan, because that is life, isn't it? And we often, I think, don't talk enough about the things that we haven't done very well, felt like failure at the time, and might even have come with a big F, fail stamp. So others may also have regarded it as failure. 
And why I think this is important as a narrative is because it helps us with our reflecting. It helps us with our growth. It also helps normalize some of the struggles that are around for us um, in our career, both as aspiring mental health professionals and qualified ones too. Um, if you think I sound a little bit gruff, um, I've had a little bit of a cough hanging around in the background. So I will make sure that my uh, podcast editor edits out any um any hacking coughs that happen. In case you're listening on MP3 and you're like, she sounds different. That's why. Okay, so let's think in no particular order about one of the first ways that I have failed in psychology. So the first of the ways is that I got three C's and a D for my A-levels. Now, technically not a fail, but bearing in mind my GCSEs were much better than that, I think I fell below my own expectations. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. So I worked really, really hard at school for year seven, year eight and year nine. And enough of knuckling down and doing all my homework and doing all my extra reading, I think I burned myself out a little bit. So when it came to GCSEs, I probably had a bit more fun with my friends. Um, I definitely took my foot off the accelerator pedal, um, but I still managed to do pretty well for my GCSEs. Um, I think I got one A star, three A's, five B's and a C. So, you know, pretty reasonable. And I think that then lulled me into a false sense of security when it came to my A levels. I thought I could coast through again. But what I probably hadn't appreciated was that the core subjects that I was studying at GCSE, I'd probably put in all the legwork for in my very conscientious year seven, eight and nine. Um, and of course, I still went to the lessons and did the homework that I had to do. I think that was enough to carry me through reasonably well for GCSEs. And for my maths, I did ask for extra help. So me and my friend went and did extra help um, probably a bit late. If I'd done that for the coursework element, I think I might well have got an A or an A star for maths, whereas in the end I got a B. But um, yeah, I think what I needed was probably for the teachers to not have taken their eye off me and to have thought I was probably a reasonably safe bet. I think I needed some accountability. So I used to just use my study sessions to go and hang out, sometimes have a little nap um, at school. So we had to be at school in those days during study periods, but we weren't held accountable for what we did. So I remember for my biology A-level, which I did, um, we had these really lovely books. They weren't that thick. They were quite thin. Um, and it was um, kind of one module at a time. And really, all I needed to have done to have got a really good grade was to read that book, probably lesson by lesson, and then maybe take a few notes on it. This might be a good chance to talk about the better ways of educating and preparing for exams, which you can find by checking out my YouTube. That's episode 65, and that came out on the 6th of March, 2023. 
I think I would have found that really, really useful and really, really inspiring to let me know what I was doing wrong. But um, I would have benefited from um, a teacher just being there, you know, saying this is your free time, but, you know, you can use this for your reading. Um, come along, do that reading that you know you're not going to do if you're not here. I would have gone along and I would have got that done and I would have done much better. Um, Whereas the complete lack of structure just meant that I took all my feet off all of the pedals, I think, and just coasted. And so I think I've probably got some traits of ADHD. So I think I did reasonably well when, when I was being kind of ridden um, in GCSEs. But teachers very much give you the learning um, and the responsibility for learning at A-level. Certainly they did in the late 90s as well, which is when I was doing my qualifications. And I needed more. I needed more accountability. And I think I probably could have created that had I asked for it. So that led to me getting a D in biology. Um, it didn't alter the place I was offered at university. Um, but had I been studying harder and more efficiently um, from the beginning, it might well have, you know, affected which university I chose it may not have done and it all still ended up okay but that's what I would that's that's where I think I failed um, in my A-levels. Okay and the second thing I failed at I'll level with you is an almost failed and it was when I was doing my doctorate in clinical psychology. There's an awful part in your mid-placement review where your personal tutor from the university turns to your placement supervisor and says, is there any chance that they might fail this placement? And on one occasion, the answer was yes. Um, there's a whole backstory to this, which is another episode which I don't feel was just. I do feel we just had a mismatch of communication and I did end up passing that, but it did lead to lots and lots of distress, lots of self-doubt, um, lots and lots of difficulties that I did end up then getting some therapy for latterly. Um, but yeah, I, you know, that those were the words I heard and it absolutely had an impact upon me, um, whether or not they were just or fair. Um, another story. Um, but they were said and I still had all the feels, um, all the stuff going on. And so, um, you know, it's big, it's important and people wield power over us. Um, and, you know, Absolutely, we've got uh, our own responsibilities. We've got everything we bring to the party. But I did feel that was um, a very challenging time in my life. So, um, yeah, that was number two. Number three, I did actually fail a module in my undergraduate psychology. I think it was in year two. It might have been in year three. I think it was in year two. Um, and it was, would you believe it? It was an optional module. So there was a free floating module where I could have picked anything for, I think it was a, for a semester. Um, and 
I really fancied maybe French or, you know, creative writing, which, um, you know, were things that I thought was a nice chance to do something as a little bit of bonus credit, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be something psychology-ish. Um, the problem being is that all the modules didn't coincide with the free time that I had available. And so I was sort of it was suggested I do the suggested module on probability. Um, and so I did. And some of my peers did that. Some of them didn't. Um, and I just didn't seem to be able to get it into my mind <laughs> what I was doing. And my friend sitting next to me ended up getting like, you know, basically an A star. She got everything right. I know. Remember in the tests that we did, she got like a hundred percent. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm really not understanding. I'm really not getting this. And when it came to the exam, I failed it. And so I had to have the experience of going into university during the summer term, um, which was like two and a half hour trip each way to resit. Um, and I don't know how I did it. I think I did some extra lessons with my brother, um, who was a pure maths student at university. And uh, he, I think, coached me enough that I was able to just scrape a pass. But it, you know, I don't quite know what I would have done if I didn't pass that. I, I think I probably would have had to pay to have done it again myself, but it didn't feel good. And it didn't feel good um, because it was an F, you know, it was a fail. It was a fail and repeat and redo, but also because it was something I'd chosen. You know, I'd had some control in that. I didn't technically need to take that module, although I couldn't really find anything else to do. So how much choice I had. I'm not really sure. But yes, I did fail a module at university. Number four, um, probably should have made this number three, but it is number four all the same. I failed my driving test. I only passed on the third attempt. The first time, I just don't think I was ready. The second time, I think I made a bit of a silly mistake. But the third time, um, I really thought my driving was all right. Um, but what happened was because I um, went the wrong route, <laughs> so the instructor wanted me to think go straight over. And I think I went it's, it's Milton Keynes, it's the land of roundabouts. I think I took like second left. Um, I just thought, oh, I failed then. All right. So I just carried on doing the rest of the route, um, just thinking this is driving practice, if nothing else. And I'm paying for the car. I've paid for the test. And then I got to the test center and they said, well, I'm pleased to say that you've passed. And I was like, what do you mean? I've passed. You know, I went wrong. They said, yes but you indicated appropriately. So at the point where I thought I'd failed, I just relaxed and I just drove without any pressure. And then that allowed me to showcase my driving ability without any kind of panic. So yes, as long as you are telling them what you're going to do properly and then you do it, doesn't matter what route you take. Um, I didn't I did make it quite tricky for my driving instructor at the time who then had to find a different route for me to then go and do all the things that I needed to do because they use different routes for different um, for different candidates so that you're not doing the same route every time. But yeah, I did find it really challenging the first time I failed. It really was a dent to my ego. And why is this relevant to psychology, I hear you ask? Well, it's because um, for many roles in psychology, you need to be able to drive. Certainly for the doctorate in clinical psychology, 
um, driving is a prerequisite. You need to take your driving license with you to interviews sometimes, um, you know, to show that you can drive. And so um, this was key. But I did manage to pass just at the end of my first year of undergrad. And then it meant that I was able to take my car to uni and drive around, take my friends to the supermarket. And um, sometimes because we lived at the top of a big hill, sometimes we'd just drive down the big hill and then drive back up it again um, if it was raining, which it did a lot in South Wales. Um, in those days, fuel was really cheap as well. <laughs> um, gone are those days. Um, but yeah, I did fail my driving test on the first two attempts. Um, but I do think that learning to drive and having my driving license is one of the best skills that I have. It's meant I've been able to do so many wonderful things, both work, pleasure, family related. You know, I've driven in Thailand, um, I've driven in New Zealand, driven in Spain, um, you know, internationally, nationally. Um, and I've just done wonderful, wonderful things because I can drive, you know, top memory of driving was when I was backpacking in 2003 in Australia and nobody else wanted to or could um, drive the four by four um, that we were using on Fraser Island, which is the largest sand island in the world. And so I did, uh, me and my friend who I was backpacking with, we did all the driving and I loved it. It was so exciting, so cool, just like flooring it on a beach, like really, really cool. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I couldn't drive. So um, it is absolutely a very important skill, I would say. Um, but it's also meant that in some of the um, more junior kind of clinically relevant roles I've did, like I was able to do home caring, I was able to do work in the community with people. And so it was really important to me in my psychology career as well. Number five, and this is the last one before we take a brief break, but I did actually fail an assignment on my doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, and I think there's a variety of reasons um, for this. It was the second presentation that I had to do. I think it was in my third year. I think I felt a bit like I'd done so well in um, the presentation that I did that was number one that I got a little bit complacent. I don't think I was super happy about the topic I was doing, but because it was a topic that I felt like I knew um, a great deal about because of the uh, work that I'd done, um, it was on physical health. I think it was on multiple sclerosis. And I felt like I knew quite a lot about it already. So I think I didn't do enough prep. Um, and I think I felt that the um, the teacher that was going to be assessing it, I think I felt they were so nice that they wouldn't be critical and they wouldn't fail me. Um, I don't think I realised it was really possible to fail um, a presentation because I'm good at presentations, but I did fail it nonetheless, and I had to I had to resubmit. I think it was just a few tweaks. I don't think I had to do the whole presentation again. But you know, the learning points here are make sure you're giving assignments and exams the necessary prep and legwork that you need make sure you're looking at your essential criteria that you need to be demonstrating um don't be you know don't be overly confident you know go into things 
you know, giving them the the due respect that they, you know, that they deserve um, is my learning point. Um, you know, this is a doctoral level qualification. I should have been putting in doctoral level effort into all of the assignments. Um, so, yeah, you know, do better, Marianne, was the answer. And thankfully, that was then passed. But it didn't feel very nice, but it is common. People will often fail at least one assignment um, on their doctorate courses. And it's not a big deal, so long as it doesn't keep happening. And you can sometimes ask for extensions as well if you know that you've got life or contextual factors going on, you can ask for an extension as well. Um, if you don't hand it in on time, obviously, and you haven't asked for an extension, it would go down as a fail. So I've always managed to submit my work on time. Um, but on that occasion, I did fail that um, presentation. So let's use this time here now to take a short break. Um, and I'll be back along very soon. Welcome back along. In the first half of the episode, we were looking at my first five ways that I have failed in psychology. I've still got loads more to share with you. Um, and I really want to have these conversations so that we normalize that getting things a starred and right first time are not essential and not par for the course either. Let's look at number six, um, and it may not feel that psychological, but I would class um, a serious relationship fail um, as being psychology related. Um, so it was heartbreaking. Um, it was my choice. Um, but I do feel that my psychology career was partly because of that, because I hoped I was going to be going away um, to a university town or city to go and study. I didn't know where that was going to be. Um, but I knew that was the direction that I wanted my life to go in. And I just wasn't entirely convinced that that was going to necessarily be possible in that relationship. And there's obviously a variety of reasons involved. Um, but yeah, there might well be heartbreak and relationship breakdowns um, on your journey. Um, and it's also pretty common when people get onto doctorate training that they might be some relationship breakdowns too. Um, sometimes it's called the divorce course. Um, and there will be an episode coming on that in future too. Number seven, 
um, is that I actually only got a low 2-1 at university. So I did then go on to do master's level study to evidence that I could do it. But I think it was some of the same old, same old um, from my A-levels, which meant that I wasn't applying myself. Um, I was certainly, I would say, doing more than I, my university housemates were, um, especially in the final year, because um, well, <laughs> I think she would say herself, the only other person in the in my house who was actually in her final year didn't really care. <laughs> she was doing media um, and she wasn't really that bothered. Um, whereas uh, my other friend, she had changed courses after year one. And so she was actually only in her second year when I was in my third year. And then I was living with two Irish guys who mainly just had lots and lots of fun. Um, I don't know what work they did, <laughs> if any. So um, when I was needing to study, I was sometimes having to say, no, I can't come out. I can't do these things because I need to study. Um, but of course, if there'd been, it's not, it's not my housemate's fault. It absolutely isn't. But if there'd been more people studying and less exciting things happening um, and I'd been less you know impulsive um, then I might well have done more studying but there was actually another relationship breakdown during my final year and I think had I not had the relationship breakdown I probably just would have wanted to spend all my time with him and so I may not have even got um, the low two one, which then would have meant a very different career experience for me. So, in, with hindsight, I'm kind of pleased um, that that happened. But at the time, that was also really, really, really challenging. Um, but yeah, I think I would have benefited from more accountability uh, when I was getting my assignments back at university in my first year, second year, and third year. They weren't what I was expecting. The grades weren't as good as I expected. And actually what I think I should have done was I should have um, reached out to the Student Support Learning Centre and got some more support and guidance and all the lecturers. You know, how can I do better? But I think a little bit of pride got in the way, a bit of embarrassment. Um, I didn't do that, but that's absolutely what I should have done. And I think it's probably some of the same old from when I was at, at, at secondary school. I was used to doing well um, and I didn't seem to be doing as well as I hoped to or thought I could um, and I should have asked for more help so for some more accountability for some more structure um, so thankfully I did get my low to one um, but you know I think I was probably capable of more um, so yes um, I've sort of ended up saying two points in one there because not asking for help at uni was my next point but I think it's related isn't it so um, yeah if you're not getting the results that you think that you should be or that you think you're capable of or you know all of your peers seem to be finding it a much more effortless than you are um, do ask for help there is no shame in asking for help I wish I had um, because it's much better to feel like you're comfortably within your window of tolerance, your zone of excellence, rather than feeling like you're really trying hard and you're not, not meeting the standards. So please, if you are not getting the results that you're expecting, please do ask for help.
And last but not least, I mean, there well, there might well be loads more, but these are the ones that I could think about, was that of all of the jobs I applied to, there were many, many aspiring psychologist jobs that I didn't even get shortlisted for or I got interviews for, but I wasn't appointed to. Sometimes I was told, oh, you were our second choice, but the other person has accepted the job. Um, but it's just oh, so close, but no cigar, as the saying goes. Um, and I remember there was one time that I took that really personally. So it wasn't even an assistant psychologist role. It was when I was um, living near Milton Keynes, and it was for the Milton Keynes Community Foundation. And I just felt that this job would be really, really good for me. And it felt, you know, like it was kind of clinically relevant because we're working with kind of lots of vulnerable populations and doing kind of lots of outreach work. And I just felt this job would be a bit of me. Um, and I went to the interview and I was so excited. I would have really, really liked the job. Um, and then I remember going out to the theatre with friends that evening and I was sort of imagining how cool it would be to to work there. And I felt like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd practised saying what my job title was in my head. And, you know, I felt like the interview had gone well and that that was going to be my new job. So it was a surprise and a disappointment to learn that I didn't get the job um, with the feedback being that we didn't feel like you knew enough about the um, the, the Milton Keynes is, is built of lots of different estates on the grid we didn't feel like you knew enough about um, the different estates on the grid and the areas of deprivation um, that were around in Milton Keynes now they were probably right. Um, so although I'd grown up, um, you know, living and working in Milton Keynes, I probably didn't know enough at that stage. But what I would say is that the next job that I did get working for Milton Keynes Council was directly working in those areas of deprivation. So I did then develop a very good understanding, real empathy for the people that were living there. Um, and I think I probably got the job I needed. So, um, you know, when I was... Um, when I was looking for qualified work, one of my peers said to me, what's for you doesn't pass you by. And I really, you know, really held on to that um, because, yeah, I believe I got the job I needed that ended up with me having a wonderful supervisor who's become a friend for life. I learned so much about myself as well as about psychology um, in the next role that I got working with disabled adults. And I learned um, how to be human, how to, you know, do loads of really important tasks like budgeting, um, safeguarding, um, you know, motivation, um, you know, coming up against adversity, understanding about physical health, the challenges inherent in that, um, how to apply for benefits with people, um, you know, how to do activity scheduling. I did absolutely loads. So I absolutely got the job that I needed um, to then get me, um, you know, two and a half years, I think I was there for, um, to then be able to get assistant psychologist roles. But um, yeah, I didn't get quite a few roles. There was even qualified roles that I didn't get. The tricky thing being when I graduated in 2011 was that we were in the recession and there were no jobs. And so there were lots and lots of people going for not many jobs. So there was a probably three or four interviews I had 
that I didn't get um, before I then did get my CAMS job. And that was tricky because, you know, I needed a job. I had a mortgage, um, but I did end up being out of work for a couple of months. But I still think that was great. And it gave me time to decompress from the university um, experience and to transition myself from being um, a trainee clinical psychologist to a qualified one. So, yes, if you are coming to the end of your training, I would still suggest it's quite good to have a little bit of downtime in between those two roles if you can. So we have had a whistle stop tour through the eight ways and more that I have failed in psychology. I hope this has been really interesting for you to listen to. Has it helped you reflect on your own journey, on the things that might not have gone to plan for you? Please do bear in mind the Aspiring Psychologist Collective and the Clinical Psychologist Collective because there are many more experiences um, of people talking about failure and things not working out for them well there. There will be links in my show notes um, where you can check those out. Um, but yeah, I would love your thoughts about this. Please do come and um, let me know what you think to this episode in the free Facebook group, the Aspiring Psychologist Community with Dr. Marianne Trent. That's over on Facebook. Um, please do rate and review this podcast on Apple and Spotify. Do consider leaving me a link in recommendation as well if we are connected on there that would be so gratefully received please do remember the ways that you can download some of my free resources as well going to my website www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk if you go to the free resources section on the tab um, you can download the free DCLIN Sci Guide, the free supervision contract, and the learning curve document as well, all of which gets great reviews. So thank you so much for being part of my world. I will look forward to catching up with you for the next episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast, which will be available for you from 6am on Monday. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. 
I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist. 